Up next on episode 51 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff sit down with Joel's business partner, Michael Pryor, to discuss the wonders of the Computer History Museum, the value of meta, the do-it-yourself ethos, and whether studying black hat techniques is important to programmers. From IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. We have uh, with us uh, Michael Pryor, uh, co-founder of Fog Creek. Hello. Again. And the CFO of uh, stackoverflow.com.llc.com. That's right. And we're here in Jeff's home in El Cerrito, California. We are. That's right. Stack Overflow World Headquarters. It's got a, a gigantic digital clock over there that keeps flipping over and making me jerk my head around suddenly and saying, what was that? Well, it's not digital. It's analog, technically. Those look like giant digits to me. <laughs> just, that's a three. Yes. That's a one, and that's a two, it, it, and it's It's digital, and then it has digits on it. That's true. <laughs> and it's not analog in the sense that there's no, like when it goes from 312 to 313, as it will in a moment, there's no ambiguity as to when it happens. It's not... Well, I, have, I have a little bit of a shifting. It just I have a, changes. I have a clock, sort of a clock fetish. I have a couple. Really? I have a Nixie clock. I have a what's the a Pong. Nixie clock? Nixie is like those old timey, like they would have on Soviet warships, digital mm-hmm. readout. That's basically it's 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 hard to explain. It's basically very analog. Pretty, very analog, but it, it's as digital as you could get at the time. Wow. And that's known as a Nixie tube. It's basically a tube that has all the the numbers in it. It's it's really cool. Oh, and they turn. No, they don't turn. They just light up individually. It's like neon. Oh, oh, yeah. It's like, and every, in other words, every position has like a one, two, three, yeah. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero yes. neon thing. Yes. And different one. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, it's well, really cool. What's it called then when they have the eight, and then it only lights up oh, that's parts just an of LED. the eight. That's just LED. Oh. LEDs are good though. We went to Michael and I just came from the Computer History Museum in Mountain View. Yes, that's great. I'm glad you were able to go to that. The interesting part about that trip was that Joel. <laughs> <laughs> had worked on every single computer in that museum. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> That's because he's very old. He could tell me how everything worked. That's not true. But the ones I had worked on. There, <laughs> there was, was like... an Enigma machine, and he's like, well, when I was, <laughs> <laughs> when I was just a lad. <laughs> they have a gigantic Babbage computer that they just built. Yes. <laughs> he, he worked on one and of those, too. Honestly, it looks like a spaghetti maker. It looks like you feed in the pasta dough in one side, and it goes, and spaghetti comes spurting out the other side. It was kind of weird to see all that old equipment and just kind of get excited about it. You feel like such a nerd. You're like, oh my god, it's an Apple II GS. I remember my Apple II GS. Yeah, they have like pretty much every computer ever, which is really. He was a lot getting of fun. excited about the HP calculators, which is yeah, yeah super uh, nerdy. I've used an HP 35, HP 65, and an HP 41C. Although not the 65 so much, but they, the 41C, my god, it had alphanumerics. It was LCD, not LED. It had letters. On the display, it could say, hello. 
and not just by typing zero three seven seven <laughs> three four and holding it upside down. <laughs> what other words can you write? You can write boobless on yeah. the calculator or shell that oil. Was... <laughs> um. So what's new in the in the week of in the in the in the in the, in the way of uh, Stack Overflow this week? Well, you know, it's odd sitting here with you guys. I'm actually looking at you during the podcast, which is yeah. weird, number yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> Usually I'm just staring into the computer. Uh, so I can, And I'm not sitting in front of the computer, which means I can't actually research. Wait, here. Use my computer if you want. No, no, I don't, I don't need to. Uh, you have Stack Overflow memorized <laughs> at this point. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, one thing we just uh, rolled out was uh, w- w- we're surfacing some of the comments on the, the question page now. Uh, one thing that I didn't like about comments was that they're essentially unsearchable because they were loaded through JavaScript and through Ajax. Okay. So the, those phrases, mean, like if you wanted to find them, there's literally, literally no way to. But who wants to search the comments? They're just comments. Well, that's what I thought too, but I kept finding these comments that were really funny and really topical to the point that I would like... You want to link to them. I, I didn't want to link to them per se, but I would actually enter them in Twitter because I thought they were so... Mm-hmm interesting and amusing and people seem to like them they responded to them and uh i just found that the, the quality of comments was surprisingly high yeah and it deserved to be elevated sort of yeah bit. elevated a little bit but technically you can go back to the old way if you want you said or you're going to allow that we are going to have settings we're not big on preferences i'm kind of down on preferences as, as a design technique you mean user chooses and preferences yeah to... yeah i think that your default should be good enough for mm-hmm. like more than 95% of the people. Sure. Otherwise, you're kind of screwing up. It will anyway, yeah. Yeah, but in this case, I actually believe this is a preference that that we will add to the system because you could make the argument that you really don't want to see comments unless they're really, really good or maybe not even at all. So you can actually set the threshold at which they get they get escalated to the to the question page. Right now, the threshold is, is uh, zero, essentially. The, the last five comments will appear if there are five comments. Um, and then... You mean they don't... They're no longer. You no longer have to click to see them. Yes, or? you no longer have to click to see them. Because oh. what, what I found was that if I was interested enough to look at a question, I was interested enough to read pretty much every comment in the question. So the normal pattern for me, at least, was click on a question and then click, 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 expand all the comments. That makes sense. As I'm reading, and then I was like, well, why do I keep doing that? That's just useless clicking. It's um, fun. Clicking is fun. Uh, clicking Makes is you feel like you're in charge. Is actually fun. That's the the weird thing about clicking. And anyone who played ever played Diablo will tell you that's pretty much an orgy of clicking. That's pretty much all you do is just sit there and click, 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 and it is mm-hmm. fun. Uh, but I felt with comments that it made more sense to escalate them to the page. It's just you have to do it in a way that you're not overwhelming the page with comments. So it's top five. Uh, by date or by voting. If we have enough votes, then we'll show you the top five by votes. So the threshold is set to five by default. The total number threshold is set to five. We're thinking about adding a threshold variable in that the 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 comments that are escalated to the main page would have to have n votes to even appear at all in a user preference. Like you could set it to five, and then the only only comments that got voted to five or higher would actually be escalated to the main page for you. What would be the name of that user preference? Like, what would the little I don't radio know. button say? I don't know. That, one's, that, that seems one's like a little, a little too complicated. Like, unless you've experienced that, you may not know how to set that preference. Yeah. Well, it's an advanced user setting, but some users really objected to comments being on the page at all. They just, you know what? You mean you got feedback? Somebody sent you an email saying, "I don't like the comments." Being yeah, the there, there's not a lot. There's a minority, yeah, but there's some people it. who really you could. Didn't you like could it. do anything. You could, you could change it so that there was a button that you clicked and it sent you money in the mail. 
$20 bills. When you click that button, the $20 bills arrived in the mail, yeah. and you would get somebody saying, why did you change Stack Overflow? It was perfect. Yes. What's with all this stupid money you keep sending me? Yeah. It's like it's like people will, they, they like the status quo, and no matter what you change, there will be people complaining, which makes it actually very hard to build a site where you listen to your users. Well, that's the big thing, because... He, Jeff's been having a conversation about all these features every single time. So, right. and consulting with the people, which is good through the but, blog, primarily. yeah, yeah, yeah right. which is fine. But now that they've become accustomed to that, it's very difficult because they're going to start. I mean, I, every time I change the font, I could change the font on Jolin Software and get you know thirty angry emails, and then change it back and get another thirty angry emails, twenty five of whom from the same people that were upset the first time I changed it. I'm like, I just finally got used to that font that you changed, not changing it all over again. Well, I, I think you can sort of tune that stuff out, though. I, I do think there's a level of feedback where you can sort of tell if something is generally positive or generally negative. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking about what if, dissent, what, if you were, what if you're Facebook, right? They just did that redesign where they changed Facebook into, like, what did they change it into? Twitter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tumblr? <laughs> and uh, uh, and they, were, they got millions of people complaining out of hundreds of millions, but still millions. And they just said, yeah, sorry, we... We're not listening. Yeah, but then there was the they, they changed their privacy policy or something. They changed their terms of services, and tons of people complained, and they did change that. Now you right. have to vote. It's like democratic. They're doing some democratic. So how the heck do you decide? They are really for that for that particular oh. thing because Ugh. you know not for design issues or how the site works or the direction of the site, but you know. Well, one thing I want to talk about, and it pains me a little bit to talk about this, is is I have a very low threshold for, for meta discussion. In other words, a podcast about podcasting, a blog about blogging. Hey, know. let's talk about this gear that we have set up here <laughs> on the coffee table chat. <laughs> <laughs> it's an Ederol, Roland. I, I think a certain amount of it is okay, a certain low amount. I don't have a problem with Sure, somebody should do a podcast about podcasting, just not us. Right, and it shouldn't be all the time. So it's really a question of, of ratios. Like mm-hmm. how much time do you spend talking about the you know yourself, basically, the right. things that you're doing? And w- one of the questions you asked me in email was, well, where do people go to discuss Stack Overflow if not Stack Overflow? Yeah. And on one level, I can kind of see that because everybody's in the right place, you know, they're all interested. They have this one shared interest, which is Stack Overflow. But you have to really consider the audience. Like, how many programmers actually come to Stack Overflow thinking, I want to learn more about Stack Overflow? Like, why would you even come to Stack Overflow in the first place? Wait, huh? Oh, yeah. You don't come because you care about Stack Overflow. You care about getting an answer to your question. Well, let's just divide it into our two communities. We have That's the 86% that came from Google. But the 14% that come because they want to play with it, they want to have fun, they want to try to answer questions, they want to show their knowledge, they just love answering questions for people, it's just kind of fun, they like earning points, they like the badges and the achievements and the $20 bill button that sends some $20 right. bills to their who house. Who wouldn't love that? I know. I hate it, but you yeah. might like it. It doesn't show up in IE6. <laughs> if you're not seeing it, you've got to upgrade your web browser. <laughs> um, and those, uh, so, so that, se- that second community might actually, uh, but the trouble is by the time they're like asking there's 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 this other issue here, which is the phenomenon that all social networks will have is that some people love the social network so much that eventually its core functionality ceases to entertain them, but they love it so much that they want to kind of hang around and find other games to play with the system. Mm-hmm. So they're on Stack Overflow and they're like, "Wow, this is so cool! I'm going to answer a whole bunch of questions. I know everything about Fortran. Let's see how many Fortran questions there are." And they answer all six Fortran questions. <laughs> 
And there are no, and they're clicking refresh, refresh on the Fortran tag, but nothing is coming in. And then maybe they make up a question that they ask themselves about Fortran and sign up for Why another Why is Fortran account. more popular? That would be <laughs> the question. Sign up for another. Or no, they'll just be like, you know, does anybody still use Hallworth strings? And then they'll go answer that under a different fake. And then they'll notice that there's not that many other people in the Fortran section and they'll start to get a little bit bored and they'll, but they love the site. And so they'll just start kicking other people, you know? This is what we refer to as the let's stop playing chess and start playing throw the chess pieces around the room game. <laughs> well, I don't think it has to become negative, though. It doesn't have to, but it does become meta. It becomes meta. And I personally, like, I often rail on my blog about, you know, blogging about blogging. I just, and occasionally I will do it, to be mm-hmm. clear. I mean, it seems hypocritical because I, I posted that on Twitter about how much I dislike meta stuff. And then, of course, somebody immediately, you know, messages me like a post I did about blogging. Right. And I was like, you're right. I mean, occasionally even I do it. Uh, it's a question, like I said, of the ratio of how often it happens. And to, with that in mind, you know, it's been in the fact forever that we really discourage people from asking questions about Stack Overflow on Stack Overflow. But you guys have just spent 50 podcasts talking about But this Stack is a separate Overflow. area. This is the podcast. It, right. This is the I know, meta. but, but this is what the podcast happens about is Stack the consumers Overflow. of your podcast are so excited about this new thing that you've built, all the features of it, how it's going to work. And there's also been some back and forth about, you know, should it work this way? Should it work that way? And it's changed. There's like, you know, yeah, the comments have just changed in the past couple of weeks, yes. the way the voting and all of the way it looks. And so they... It's not It's not like a normal site where you've just come to it. It's already been in existence. And you're like, this is how it works. Like, come, use it. But, you know, and if you don't like it, go to, you know, go to user voice and suggest something. But there's been all of this talk about how the site's built, how it's going to work. And that's very interesting to the type of people that consume your podcast and read your blog. So they're obviously going to come to the site and ask questions like that. And that will probably die off eventually. But that's still part of what people are interested in one well, of the things well, that, that's true and that. you don't want to step on people i mean it, it, i don't want to be the guy that's saying you know what you're really interested in our site screw you go away hmm. uh that's but not you really my that. goal <laughs> you do say that well I, it, to the extent i say go away what i'm really saying is i think it needs to be a separate area and and what i object to in the current system is that we allow a certain amount of it a certain very low amount of it is tolerated so just make a new domain name stackoverflow.stackoverflow.com but but i think you, you <laughs> stack overflow overflow like john well, well that, that's a good one stack overflow overflow yeah john ski came up with that so. well okay so even if we did that now remember joel at one point we were talking about the joel uh the joel and software discussion boards mm-hmm. and i said well why not use stack overflow software for the discussion boards mm-hmm. and you lectured me rightfully so about how it's not really conducive to discussion. Mm-hmm. The system that we build is very much a QA system. Mm-hmm. In other words, the, the default sort is voting, so there's no chron- chronology gets screwed up. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's about some, one person asking a question, everybody else reacting to that question in an, in an answerable way, not talking amongst themselves. And this is sort of counter to what discussion is, and that's another sort of problem I have, is that our system, I don't think, adapts well to pure discussion. It's, it, True. But Maybe pure sort of, discussion, but there's definitely people like it to discuss things. The trouble is, as sure. you make it a community, a community, whatever community means, I mean, it's, a, it's an overused term. But if it's like a village, if it's like uh, the people that all work in the, you know, matrimony wing of the hospital. Is that a real wing that they have? I don't know. <laughs> no. Uh, the marriage wing? I'm trying to think of a section of the hospital where the people don't know each other that work there. Uh, you know what I mean? It, it's a community. It's the it's the, mm-hmm. the Fog Creek programmers. It's the people that love C Sharp. It's the, there are all these different communities. And every, why does my phone keep knocking? 
Stop knocking. They want you to buy an iPhone. Um, that's a te- the text message knocking. Uh, the, um, whatever a community is, uh, there's certain things a community has to have, or it's not going to be a community. It's just going to be boring. So if it's just Q&A, uh, at some point, it's going to be very, very dry and very, very kind of icky. But if once in a while, somebody on, on special occasions has a lot of fun with a funny comment or with a funny post about uh, the, the boat or the um, uh, programming on a boat or uh, what's your favorite programmer's cartoon is our favorite one. Those things, we want to have a small number of those. If you have that all the time, the site is degrading. It's changing topic. It's turning into Reddit where you know that's what people want to talk about because they're bored talking about programming. Go ahead. And we, we even can't really allow the regular Stack Overflow users who are bored with programming topics to hijack it and turn it around into being a site about the the, the Bush administration. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen though. Like that, the community is already there, and they've already. But you don't have to go in and 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 monitor each question like on an individual scale. Right. It's like what you were telling me before about how you know Google Larry didn't Larry we and Sergey didn't last week's uh, last week's podcast sit around this. and and and. You know, look at each website and decide whether it should be in or out. They right. just built a system and it just worked. And the, eventually, the meta questions that people are asking are going to go away because the site's going to be more static. Well, the other thing about the meta questions that's odd is I occasionally go back and actually have to remove the old meta questions because it's referring to old versions of the site where we significantly changed the way the site works. So there's a whole discussion that's essentially obsolete mm-hmm. because it's a meta discussion around some feature that doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah. So somebody would find it and actually go, what What the hell is this? Well, like, you could just go hit edit and say this is obsolete or vote it down. Well, but I'm I mean, so, that's the, where I'm the so wiki down is on, supposed to work. But I'm so down on meta that I just usually delete that stuff. Down on meta. Now, one analogy that I like. That's like a Cory Doctorow book. Down <laughs> on meta. I was thinking about doing a, a post, meta is murder. Hmm. Yeah, going for that. But uh, on Twitter, uh, Kevin Dente messaged me and said, he said, you know, the problem you have is you have, it's like when your kids are out of school and causing trouble, it's because you didn't give them an after-school activity that Hmm. makes sense. And I said to him, well, that doesn't really work. That's not really a good analogy. And then he said, okay, refining it, it's like you have a school where the students eventually become teachers. They need like a teacher's lounge. I thought that was a better analogy that in the school you have a teacher's lounge. Right. Is what we need a room with a bunch of teachers smoking. Well, because it is sort of like, you know, students and teachers. I mean, that is what Stack Overflow is ultimately supposed to be, people learning about a topic together. Mm, Interesting. Where the students become the teachers eventually. Hey, let's have like a chat room that you have to have like 5,000 points to get into. (laughs) There already is an IRC channel. (laughs) Is there? Yeah. Well, let's have another one that you need 5,000 points for. Jeff, could you um, raise your microphone? It's not just for the people that have. Like that, that aren't, those aren't always the people that want to discuss this stuff. You know, it's not about the, the people with higher reps. It's not like these moderator people need a place to go. There's people that have rep of 300 or 400 mm-hmm. or 50 that want to talk about the same things though. No, I know this isn't a way of getting that off. It's just a way of making a, a, a separate teacher's lounge community place. I also want to have, I, th- I think we should do, did we talk about that flag thing? The idea that it's kind of weird because somebody, uh, I mentioned on, uh, uh, when I was talking to the Microsoft uh, people, I think some Microsoft people, some group of Microsoft people, I mentioned that um, that the New Zealand.net discussion group people co- wrote to us to complain that all their active users had left and gone to Stack Overflow, draining them of all essence, and there was no longer a cool New Zealand.net discussion group. <laughs> and uh, and I thought what we should what we could do is add the ability to turn on a little flag next to your name if you wanted to with your nationality. We have yeah, we mentioned that. Project about, Oiler yeah, does we never that. Really did that. Yeah, so does. Yeah. Uh, airliners.net it's pretty cool 
then you could you can have a teacher's lounge, you could have a New Zealand lounge, you could have a uh you keep bringing up that boat question. I, I love the boat question. And the reason is because last week I was sitting at the Fog Creek lunch and I told everyone we should move to like a little private island in the Bahamas and we can make a little the whole company? programming commune. Yeah, everyone could live there and we would write software from uh, there. That's of why you're ordering up all kinds of satellite dishes. Yeah, so then we needed to build solar you know, panels on the roof. We had to figure out how to harvest rainwater. We had to figure out how we were going to get satellite internet and those sorts of things. But so this, the answer to this question has a lot to do with, you know, internet access when you're in the ocean and things like that and getting power while you're in the ocean and same answer that I was researching. Hmm. But the, it turns out that he, uh, the guy that answered this said that basically unmetered internet access is $5,000 a month for satellite internet, which is <laughs> a little That's high. prohibitively And it's high. probably not that high bandwidth either. It's probably, it's got to be high latency. Because Two megabits it, per second down. Ugh. That's crappy. I, you know, we've got one person watching Hulu, and it's over. And but you guys live in New York City. You're gonna like <laughs> move to an island where there's no other people. Why? Why the extremes? Just, I'm going know. from an island that's chock full of people to an yeah. island that's got yeah. no people. I like the idea of just going somewhere and, and having nothing and having to build everything. You have to like survive on your own. It seems more attractive as an idea than an actual. That could be. Implied. You may be very correct. <laughs> I may get there in a week later. Why don't you take the summer upset. interns as their as their inauguration? But we like uh, we love solving activity. problems, and I think it like the the people at the office were really excited about it. I mean, not in reality, but maybe just the idea of like, okay, how do we set this up? How will how will we get all this stuff there? And then we'll have to build a shelter if there's a hurricane. And well, it's funny that you bring that up because that was actually kind of what I objected to about that question. What it was so hypothetical. It was like, what if? Yeah. We did this. And I was like, this is so impractical, right? I mean, I wasn't convinced that the original... Somebody's going to do it. But I wasn't convinced the original poster was serious, first of all. I mean, that was my the root concern. And then the other concern was it that... Wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. But it didn't matter, right? The question still turned out... To well, good. it did, actually. Once we brought it up on the podcast, somebody posted a really nice response to it. So, you know. Let me play a listener question uh, that's a little bit related. Not a lot, but a little bit. Hey, Joel and Jeff. This is Peter Bailey in Dallas, Texas. Um, my question is related to kind of one of the original goals of the site um, in terms of, uh, you know, finding answers to questions that are kind of buried somewhere in some old uh, email string or some broken form or something like that. What do you think about the practice of um, if someone does find an answer buried in a site like that, um, but then they don't find it on Stack Overflow, posting that question and then answering it themselves to hopefully create a kind of new canonical place for that problem to live. Thanks. It's been allowed from the earliest days. I think it's, it's a great even, idea, yeah. It's even in, in the fact. Uh, Just if don't, you, don't copyright, I mean, don't cut and paste because that's a copyright infringement. Like, oh, he's talking about transferring it. information from one place to another? He's talking about you've asked a question, you can't find the answer on Stack Overflow, you go to the website that has a hyphen in the mm -hmm. domain name, you find the answer in the question there, and you say, you know what? I wish this question and answer were on Stack Overflow and not on the website with a hyphen in the name. So let's take uh, – so you basically bring it into Stack Overflow by re-asking the question and re-answering it there. And you just have to do it so that it's not a copyright violation, basically, wait, wait. which means you have to completely rewrite the question and the well, answer. Hold on. You said two different things there. You said yeah. asking a question he couldn't find the answer to, yeah. but he did ask somewhere else. Right. So the, it's there answered is somewhere else. It was answered somewhere else as well, but not with a good answer? Right. Okay, no, well, with, a good with a good answer. He found the answer. He just he found didn't the answer find somewhere Stack else. Overflow. It wasn't on Stack Overflow. Should he then create a new Stack Overflow entry with a question and an answer for that topic? Actually, 
I don't know. That seems redundant at some level. I mean, unless... Usually, the, the whole reason you come on to Stack Overflow and ask something is you don't really like the presentation of the information that you found. Either it's not good enough, you know, it, it doesn't cover the right bases, it's right. incomplete. There has to be some other reason versus just copying. I think you, you want to enhance it in some way. Well, just being on Stack Overflow instead of a website that pretends that you have to pay to get the answer even though you don't, that's, a, that's an enhancement of the answer. The that, fact that it's a wiki, too. Yeah, well, and it's yeah. a wiki, and, and our site is easier to find, and we, you know... It loads faster, probably too. Yeah, there you go. So that's that's a, that's that's defensible. I mean, to my, do that. My feeling is it's not. It's beyond defense. First of all, any form of copyright violation, even just like paraphrasing the question and the answer that you find somewhere else, is probably not okay. It's just not. That's just like stealing. But if it's a simple question like, um, you know, what what does the third argument mean? The documentation doesn't explain what the third argument is. And then explaining. I mean, you know, there, there are ways of doing that that are not copyright violations where you just provide the cute, the answer. Um, and uh, I, I think that's actually kind of awesome because I really do want Stack Overflow to have an answer to all these questions. I want it to be the canonical source of knowledge. It's like if there was no article in Wikipedia about Cuba, just because there's a really good website that tells you everything about Cuba, should you go and make an article about Cuba on Wikipedia? Yeah, sure. Because it's got to be an encyclopedia. It's got to have everything. Right. Anyway, why did I bring that up? It was somehow related to what we were talking about right before then. Well, the the Cuba reference, apparently, one thing I didn't notice, the the boat <laughs> question is a reference to the old man in the sea. Oh, Santiago no, wait a minute. Wait. And Cuba. Oh, it was, really? Yeah, supposedly. Somebody brought it up. It's been so long since I read The Old Man in the Sea that I've forgotten, but somebody pointed out. Did he have a cat named Ender, too? <laughs> that... Yeah, the cat named Ender was a weird addition. <laughs> that was not in The Old Man in the Sea. Um. I've noticed that how, how his Babby formed has been removed from Yahoo Answers, sadly. Ah, I know. That is sad. I found it in the Google cache, luckily, and was able to reproduce it for a slide. You should re-ask it. <laughs> the, <laughs> it's, I'm sure it's it done every be, hour. <laughs> I think it might be a troll. Yes. Based on the little picture of the guy who's asking it, who has a shaved head with some kind of logo carved into his shaved head. Yeah. Well, you you always suspected that how his baby formed was not a, in fact, a real question. A legit question. But but if you just go to Yahoo Answers right now, you'll find um, questions about the, the current. The, the, the when I went to Yahoo Answers, the current question was like, who eats the ants after I squish them? Mm. What happens to them? What happens yeah. to the squishing? No, it was like, what eats the ants? And you know, yeah, Michael would probably them. vote to keep yeah. that open. Well, that's a great Yahoo Answers question. <laughs> Well, they don't set any boundaries, right? I mean, we, we feel well, like you're, you're changing my argument. A I'm just, bit I'm just teasing because you. it's not you. that I want everything to be open. I just think what I actually that the whole the truth of it is, I was afraid that people were more they were they were becoming too they were getting you know this moderator disease, and they were just like that's not program related, that's not program related, and this isn't even close to you know being, and they were just closing things. And part of that posting that question gave me the answer, which is that it's perfectly fine. There's, there's just as many people out there trying to open questions as there are closing them, and that's fine. That's what's going to happen, right? And there's always going to be questions that that Some people th- close. Well, and- let, let me interject. The one thing that's funny about that is I've gotten complaints from both camps. The people who like to close stuff complain that it's too hard to close things. I swear to God. And then the people who like to open stuff complain that it's too hard to open things. And I have to tell them, like... Maybe that's good. Well, because the, the person I was talking to was actually like to close things. And he said, you know, it's so much easier. Name? You better tell me his name. No. He's like, you know, it's too easy to open stuff. He's like, you made it really hard for us. We like to close things. And you've made it far too difficult. I'm like, you know, it's the exact same process in reverse to open something. <laughs> the only, in fact, they have an, he said, the only advantage they have is that questions start out open, obviously. Right. I'm not going to start out questions closed. That's ridiculous. 
Um, he's like, oh, we have to have five people to close something. I, I saw Let's some, take a-, a question that had two votes to be reopened, and then when I went back and looked at it, it was um, it had zero. They age. The reason we age the votes is yeah. because what we don't. The reason that became an issue is on offensive. When you flag things as offensive, stuff will be just offensive enough to accrue like one vote per week. Okay. You see what I'm saying? It's not really offensive. But then after five weeks... So yeah. a lot of votes do that, not because we're singling you out. <laughs> Somebody yeah. comes in on Sunday at twelve thirty. <laughs> we're not singling you out. We just felt like no, we had to sense. do that because you got to capture the velocity, right? Because right. uh, otherwise things just have, yeah. they're, they're just yeah they they're going go up and back down and forth across. forever. Right, right. Let's take and, another listener question here. Hi, Jeff and Joe. Uh, this is Chuma. I'm a computer engineering student at San Jose State. I'm wondering about how you guys feel about like whether com- like uh, software engineers should learn like about how computers work more along the lines of microcontrollers and uh, just basically how the computer actually runs, all the guts and the internals and the bare metal stuff, like whether they should know that or whether they should just abstract everything away. Uh, I'd love to hear what you guys think. That's a good question. They teach that in college, at least. Sometimes. They did, where I went to school. Some of them, I don't know. There's just there's all kinds of levels. Where did he say he said he went to San Jose? Mm-hmm. It's more of like an electrical computer. engineering type of thing. Yeah. It's like something you learn and then... I Once never you took understand that class. it, you just... There were these like, classes okay, where you learned how to make, like, an AND circuit with transistors. Yes. Yeah. I never took that one. I had to build, like, a little computer that read barcodes. I was telling you about that. Well, isn't isn't learning C at some level kind of like learning a little bit about hardware? Well, it's halfway there. Yeah, because you're, you're going down a level. Yep. But there's another level below that where yeah, you're actually learning... assembly. Log- right. Or you're, you're learning logic circuits, and you're learning how, like, a shifter might be assembled using transistors. And of course, we have to talk about Charles Petzold's book, Code, which I love. That is a pretty low-level book. So I think if you're interested in this topic, if you wonder if you should be learning that, you should look at Go Charles Petzold's book. Code. Just look at it mm-hmm. and, like, pick it up and browse through it and see if, if, if it really appeals to you. You probably should. I sort of feel like that stuff should be interesting to programmers. It is. It's like, fascinating. When Michael and I went to the Computer History Museum, everything we saw there, like, if you're going to be a good programmer, you have to be the type of person that's wondering how that I punch thing that. worked and wondering what all those transistors were doing and what all those vacuum tubes to, meant. You have to feel that way to be a good programmer. I don't think it's a it, – that that's a cause and a – you know, like, I think you're – I don't know. It? it just turns out that good programmers a lot correlation of time are. And causation. Yes, exactly, exactly. But I think that you don't have to really be know how a microcontroller works or be able to solder things together and make circuits. No, you can be. It's true that you don't have to, but it would be if I took a room full of good programmers and took them to the computer history museum. If they don't all get excited and point and jump up and down and say, "Oh my god, that thing only held a hundred <laughs> bytes," that's like nine. That's like nine closets full of. <laughs> but what about building your own computer? Because I know Jeff was a big fan of building your own server. Yes, uh, I am, and I, I, I agree. You don't. It's not required. Like I, I, I don't lose respect for programmers no. who are totally uninterested in the hardware. But you just you have to find that stuff interesting. That, that or there's something wrong. When when we first started Fog Creek and we were in a in an apartment. On John Street, downtown Manhattan, and it was it was just an apartment that we rented, and Joel and I <laughs> were working there because we needed an office to go to. Um, we we did everything ourselves back then, you know, and it was it was kind of ridiculous because I I convinced Joel that we needed to. I might have told this story before, but well, we actually, can, Joel has told the story. He you told haven't. the story, and he and, and I needed. We were like, let's. I'm gonna I'm yes. gonna build our own server. Yes. Yes. And no, it was a it. computer. It was going to be a computer. Yeah, it was a computer and we built it and then for every like any time it was hot out, the computer would just 
blue screen, and we never knew why. And then eventually, <laughs> I figured out that I forgot to put the the glue. No, not glue. The the thermal the, compound. The thermal. Yeah, you've heard it before. Yeah. Sorry, the audience. Um, but then not everybody has heard every episode. It's okay to sometimes repeat okay. things in the podcast. Yeah, and so I figured out what happened, and then. Sometimes it's okay to repeat things. But did you feel okay? Here's here's the way I look at this: is like, did you feel like you learned something from that? Yeah, definitely. Did you, I, but I would never do it again. Right. I was fun and you don't to, have do, to it do it again because you spent yeah. all this time on these ridiculous discussion boards, looking up the the motherboard that you bought and right. this, you know, with the video yep. tr- card you bought, and there, you know, you had to mm-hmm. uh, change the BIOS, and it was all these weird things that you had to know and get different versions of and it was kind of voodoo magic to me right. at the time but then when you get it working you feel like oh yes it's amazing I well you feel like you learned it. something this is yeah. the, the voyage of discovery that everyone has right and i was actually i was on a, another podcast today run as radio talking about server fault and it was it was fun to finally talk about server fault because you know we spend so much time on programming topics and i love programming but it's also fun to know about other things mm-hmm. you know it's fun to yeah. be multidiscipline on some level that's the, this but, is the whole point okay. you have to if you're, I don't, I'm not saying you have to know that stuff. I'm saying you have to find it interesting. So if you don't I, find it interesting. You're you're probably not a, a serious programmer. You're not going to find programming that interesting. You're not going to find learning more about programming interesting. You're but not I don't gonna, think that's always true. Like the puzzle stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I, the puzzles drive me crazy. I have no interest in the puzzles. Okay, you don't have to but, be interested in puzzles. But a lot of people like the puzzles, and I'm yeah. not like it's not like I would hold that against them. You yeah. know. But I think it it, it varies. You know and. That's okay. The the puzzle. I don't think puzzles. I think, but I think like, um, uh, old computer like PDP elevens and old computers and transistors. And did you see? Did they do the the live demonstration? Did they power one up there while you were there? Unfortunately, no. We didn't time it right. I got him. I got to see him playing Space War on that. That was awesome. Wow, that's cool. It was very cool. But yeah, it's great. Now, one clarification to what I said earlier. I think a lot of times. Like, kind of like learning C and le- learning how the hardware works. It's not that you're going to go like build a computer, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think l- let me draw a rough analogy. Sometimes we do stuff on Stack Overflow because we feel like if we don't do it enough to understand it, then we haven't like we don't understand it enough to even let other people do it for us. Let me Here, like advertising, advertising. Like I felt like we needed to do all our advertising internally, like handle, deal with the advertisers, deal with how do we place ads on the site. Actually, get that together so we can actually understand how that works. That's just bootstrapping, right? That's what we did when we started Fog Creek. We had to do everything ourselves first. But we wanted and to, you know, I agree with you, Michael. We, I, we we wanted to know how these things work before we outsource sure, anything. Absolutely. Yes, but if I did saying. it again, I wouldn't do it myself. Yes. I wouldn't. Go, wouldn't I wouldn't fix it. the toilet in our office again. <laughs> Ever again. Even though I did. That's a famous once. thing that happened in the early days of Fog Creek. Michael spent an afternoon. I had to go get a, par- a plumbing part and fix, fix it myself. the toilet. And Joel installed the thermostat. On our wall, once yep. he put a new thermostat in. It's just mm. stupid stuff like that. Like, but that's that's even further. Yeah, off topic. I know. I realize extremely that's off topic. But yeah, but this stuff is incidental. <laughs> like knowing how the hardware works, knowing how advertising works. This is all relevant to me running Stack Overflow, right? On right, some sure. level, doesn't mean I should do it forever. Nope. And if I continue to do it, you should step in and say that's ridiculous. Stop doing that. Wait, we have a list of those things. I have them. I'll bring them up after the <laughs> podcast. Anyway, <laughs> we should make a Stack Overflow for people building computers. Hey, do we have a Michael? Yes. Do you have a uh, uh, oh yeah, the system builders. Because there's like a definite question, you know. There's a definite answer to a lot of these questions. Yes, and it's very Q and A driven. Very... I totally agree with that. Um, and plus, there's the Stack Overflow would be great for that because when somebody says, "What's the best video card?" That's something that's going to be constantly updated and constantly, uh, and having our wiki ability to have things be up to date. 
or just have things not be utterly wrong is really right. how I look at it. It's not yeah. that they're going to be perfectly up to date. It's like the odds yeah. of them being completely wrong or lower. The thing, you know what's amazing? Sometimes you ask a question and the correct answer is, yep, sorry, this just cannot be done. And the vendor fixes it in the next release. And then it can be done. And then it can be done. But yes. think of all the web pages in the world that tell right. you that it can't. Right. So never believe a web page that tells you you can't do something. If you believe you can fly, you can fly. Michael, did you have a question you wanted to – a Stack Overflow question you wanted to talk about? Mm, I really like the, the boat question. We did that last week. Okay. And we talked there's, about it already. Okay. There's some... <laughs> talked about it today too. <laughs> okay. Do you want me to get you a T-shirt that has the boat question on it and you can wear it around? So th- there's, there's one I found on the, the most active for the week. Um, it's called Black Hat Knowledge for White Hat Programmers. Give us the flavor of the oh, so, question. So the, the yeah, question is basically, you know. And what's the number? Give us the number. Joel. The number is 772596. Okay. To what extent do you think an honest programmer needs to know the methods of malicious programmers? Basically oh. is the question. So how much time as a pro, you know, like, is it fair for you to learn about all these kind of vulnerabilities? And because in some ways, knowing that information is kind of. Important. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I would say but the, it's also kind of dangerous. My, right? my, you're, you're, you're doing research. Like, I'm just saying from other people's perspective, if they came in looking at you reading some websites right. about yeah, Homeland Security how to build a, a, a blue off. box, for example. You yes. know, if you, a what for, box? Wait, a what? I'm going way blue, back. Blue box. Like, What's a know, blue box? It's the classic subverting the phone network, free long distance box. From oh, that was, a, that was called a blue box? It's more like an analog. History museum. It's all digital now. You can I, never work. And I did that in college. I, I figured They have one at the Computer History Museum? Yeah, they do. Oh, they it's like cool. they have, Jobs, the yeah, they have Steve Jobs' ones that he built with, uh, what's his name, Dr. Uh, wasn't he, friend? didn't he hang out with uh, oh, yeah. Steve Jobs built something? Captain Crunch. I'm sure it wasn't Captain Was. Crunch. No, Steve Jobs and Captain okay. Crunch were hanging out, hanging out. Okay. Maybe it was both of them. You're right. <laughs> Steve took all the credit. around. Yeah. No, that, I think that's a great question. And my answer would be the more your code is going to be facing the world, mm-hmm. the more you need to know about that stuff. If your code sure. is going to be running on an intranet in a really protected environment, there's really a limit to how much you need to know about that, in my opinion, because your code's just yeah. never going to be subjective. I'll second that, and I'll add the thing I just said before, which is if you're not interested in that stuff, <laughs> you're probably not a good programmer. Maybe you should find it interesting. Maybe you don't need it. Well, where do you draw the line, though? Because you could say yeah. you should be interested in everything. Yep. Well, no, there's just a class of things that to be a good programmer, you have to have the kind of mind that's interested in that class of things. Like the, the certain types of certain ways in which problems are solved that are kind of ingenious, uh, that, that has to appeal to you. Ingenious solving of problems. Well, that's true. Elegant solutions. Problem solving is something that programmers should be interested in. Right. And if they're not, then that's definitely a warning some, some people really aren't. And some people, you know, people are interested in very, very, very different things. I mean, some people are interested in trying to figure out what other human beings are thinking and how to convince them to do what you want or understand right. what they want. or I mean, some people are interested in very different things. Some people aren't interested in modern art. But what programmers are interested in is is elegant ways to solve interesting problems, I think. Yeah. No, that, that's a great way to characterize it. It's very broad, but definitely true in my experience. So where would you draw the line? Okay, so if, I would draw the line where if you're spending all your time on the black hat, I mean, what's your ultimate goal with this knowledge? I think, I think that's where you have to draw the line. If you're actually going out and attacking sites for essentially monetary gain sure. uh, and not just, you know, because on well, Stack Overflow... Do you, do, you, do, you, do you think you went through a stage like that in your life, though? Because I, I oh, definitely did when I was yeah, in college. Totally. You yeah. know, and I, it was sort of... I had this... I realized that I had a power to do something that other people couldn't do, and it was... You, you sort of have to come to grips with 
you have to use With that correctly. <laughs> no, you, you do possibility. in some way. Like, I, I mean, I went down to the payphone. I had a little portable Mac, and you could download the all the boxes in one application. I went down to the payphone in my dorm, and I played the tone because I wanted to see if this worked. I yeah, sure, like, this sure. Is you want to see if it worked. That's nice. I want to see yeah. if it works. So You're allowed I, to see if it works. I called my, you know, I That's did, not I ran the tone. I dialed my parents, and my mom answered the phone, and I was like. That's ridiculous. Like, Hi, mom. Bye. Yeah. You know what I did? Yeah. Oh, I was God. scared. You so... I really was. I was yeah. actually frightened at the time. I was like, oh, my That's... God, somebody's going to find I, out. You know what I what did? What year was this? Like? 1994. Okay. Wow. It still worked then? Jeez. You know what I did? In I guess the they weren't digital until much later. Early 80s. Uh, if they, they used to, People used to have rotary dial phones. Yes. Um, there was like a circular wheel yep. on the front of the phone. Yep. I know most of our listeners will not believe this. And it had 10 little holes stuck mm-hmm. into it. You would insert your finger in one of these holes and make a circle until your finger stopped on this little J-shaped piece of metal and let go. And then it would go click, 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 click for the number of times based on the number that you dialed. And yes. in order to prevent people from using these phones for outbound calls, which cost money, and if you wanted to set up a phone that was only good for inbound calls, there were locks that you put on the one. You could dial a lot of ones, but that didn't get you anything. <laughs> no, there were no numbers. They consisted of just a lot of ones, um, except in Israel, the emergency number, which is kind of handy. So people put these little locks on the one so that you could only dial up to a one. And I realized that quickly pressing the hang-up button, what do you call it? The 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 button yeah. which you press yeah. that hangs sure. up. I don't know okay. the term for it, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Cycling it. If yeah. you just click it, that did the same thing as dialing a one. And if you click it twice rapidly, that was dialing a two. And I realized you could actually dial crazy long, long-distance phone numbers on a phone that is locked. <laughs> you hacked the analog phone system. Yeah, and it worked. I was calling all <laughs> kinds of international. Uh, and at one point, I was in the uh, I was in the army, and there was one of these phones, and I called my parents in England and had a nice long conversation with them. And this poor other kid who was actually English got in trouble. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they discovered it. when the when the oh, when the army battalion got their got their phone bill. <laughs> they they were like. Who just called England for, for, in those days, you know, a 20 minute call to England and they're like $8 or some, or $80 yeah. or whatever, some large amount? I think it would be difficult nice. for parents, like, especially if they didn't know enough. You didn't fess and, up? No, but he didn't get, he didn't really get in trouble because <laughs> they couldn't prove it was him. True. If you had a kid that was, you know, learning about computers and knew more than you did and you saw them doing things like that, mm-hmm. you'd be very frightened. You'd be like, oh my God. Well, let me, side. let me use a concrete example. So we do actually have, even now, security holes on Stack Overflow, increasingly small ones, narrow ones. Um, but Only think of, children can get through them. <laughs> but some of them tend to be kind of serious, because if you can get script to execute on our site, there's almost no limit to what you can do, scarily enough. I mean, we there's a few protections that some browsers... Wait, enforce. when you say script to execute on our site... In other words, you can get our site to serve up a script that, that you, you provided. You can do all kinds of nasty yes, stuff. Yes, and, and you can essentially do that by embedding a script tag of in course. some format, and then it retrieves... In some place that we display. In any place that we display information right. that you've put into the system. It's a classic right. you know, sanitization issue, but mm-hmm. it's just it's hard to get it right everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you found that out, what would you do? This is really what determines if you're a white hat or a black hat or a gray hat. Like, if, if you hate us, you would exploit it, and mm-hmm. you would quietly tell a bunch of people that, that hated Stack Overflow about this exploit mm-hmm. and encourage them to attack us, right, and do things that are... You might come down to Stack Overflow headquarters and demand a bribe. <laughs> but then if you're like Grey Hat, you'd be like, ah, don't care, right? You're like, I, I did this, it was fun to discover this, but I don't care, I'm not going to publicize it, I'm not going to do anything with it. You might but I'm tell not going to tell 
the owners either because I don't care enough for them to fix it. Yeah, maybe you'd even set it up so it like raised your rep or something to your rep. Yeah, or you might do something innocuous that was just clever that we might eventually see and and say, okay, that guy is clever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the white hat would be to basically tell us about it and explain not only how you did it but how we could fix it and that sort of thing. Now, we've been very fortunate on Stack Overflow and then almost all the security stuff we've seen, people have been nice enough to tell us before doing anything bad with it or, you know, anything at all. Sure, I mean, that's what you'd expect. Most people are good. Yeah, they kind of like your site. And, you know, I, I think it's, you know, th- that's how you have to look at it in terms of, I- is it wrong to do to do Black Hat stuff? No, I think it's awesome to know as much Black Hat stuff as possible. Um, but if it's a question of really what you're doing with that information that sets the tone for, you know, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Guns don't kill people. People kill guns. People kill guns. Bullets kill people. <laughs> Bullets kill people. <laughs> <laughs> so just get rid of the ammo, and then we solve all these problems. Uh, That's a good question. All right, let me ask one. Here's one. Do we ever do the uh, G? Let's just say this is a random one. Developer salaries. This is kind of an old one. Uh, it's it, uh, This is somebody claiming that a large number – there's been a large drop in the number of people graduating with computer science degrees. This is question 400865. And uh, this drop in people graduating with computer science degrees should uh, lead to developer salaries rising, this person claims. Um, but it's not an immediate effect. It's not like tomorrow we're going right. to have this big increase in salaries. Yeah, I don't, think it, I don't think it matters that much. The number of people entering the workforce is like 2%, 2%, 3% of the people in the workforce. So even if there were no computer science majors next year, that well, would only be a 3% decrease. How many need... A computer science degree, though. There's tons of people coming into the workforce. Without are, the degree. Yeah, they could be really good programmers, sure. too. So this is a already a fraction of the overall number. Right. Yeah. So, so I, don't think it's, I don't think it's that significant. I haven't noticed any serious change. I mean, obviously, there's a little bit of a recession on, which is causing nominal starting salaries to be a little bit lower because you can get away with it. But this, that's indefinitely for um, some of the other industries, like lawyer salaries are way... Down. Yeah, because they had gone way up. There was just the, the bubble is over yeah. in lawyer salaries and a little bit in programmer salaries. I mean, there was a point where there were people graduating from Stanford and going to work at Google that could honestly expect to be earning a hundred thousand in yeah. the first year, and that was just ridiculous. That's just the bubble, and that's gonna that's has ended now. But uh, but that's just we're talking about one percent here. Um. But what I'm still seeing, you know, I used to get in trouble all the time during the dot com crash. There were all these nice, competent people that didn't have jobs, but they weren't the super programmers. The super programmers found some place that needed them, even in the worst parts of the crash. I think. And then every time I said that, people were like, "I'm not. You don't think I'm a super programmer? <laughs> it's hard out there to find jobs." And uh, it sort of depends because you know, look, if you want to stay in Green Bay, Wisconsin, there may be, a, you know, there may not be a job in Green Bay, Wisconsin. But uh, I don't, I don't think people objected to you saying that you wanted to hire really good programmers. I think they objected no. to some of the methods that we'd use to screen initially screen. Well, that was people. a different thing. That's a different subject. That's a different subject. I'm really talking about people that just when I when I the truth is there were a lot of programmers that lost their jobs. In the first dot-com crash, and there are a lot of programmers losing their jobs now in this current recession, and some of them are great programmers and some of them are terrible programmers. Most of them are honestly like, – the companies that are that – are, we've said this a few times and nobody's really objected to that. The companies that are laying off 3% of their staff, like, like Microsoft did about a month ago, are probably using this as an excuse to get rid of people that they didn't really feel like getting rid of in some other no, way. No, but you see today, Microsoft's earnings are way down. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But did they, they lay people off? We'll see. We'll still 
That may be Microsoft is going to use this as an excuse to shut down something stupid. Like uh, like, li- like live.com. <laughs> oh, that's cold. Cold. Sorry. that's It's not stupid. They really should. No, it is stupid for my, you know, Internet Explorer. Close it down. Just stop. Microsoft has well, only spent money on Internet Explorer and gained nothing. Well, that's the thing. If you're a company as large as Microsoft, surely you could get rid of something. Let's talk about how large Microsoft is. Oh, my God. Did we talk about this last week or is this going to be boring? I don't think so. Their campus is gigantic. There must be – the building numbers go up to like 130-something, and then there's some buildings with letters. And that's just in Redmond. There's also an Issaquah campus. There's a there's a Silicon Valley campus, and there's a whole bunch of smaller you know places mm-hmm. around the world. In Redmond, there are several exits from the highway, which are all within the, the domain of the Microsoft campus. Mm-hmm. It is so easy to get lost. It is so gigantic. The buildings are huge. Let's Millions see. of parking lots. There's a, in the middle of the campus, they built like a little mall with like a, a bunch of restaurants and um, every possible type of cell phone store for mall four carriers and a which salon none of, none and a of gift them store. IPhones either. Yeah, you couldn't oh. buy an iPhone. Really? <laughs> yeah, they built like a little Potemkin Village kind of mini mall just so that Microsoft employees could you know get their haircut or whatever mm-hmm. or go to a restaurant. It was right next to the visitor center that we went. To see what it had lame, in yeah. it, and that was the, that was interesting because today we went to the Computer History Museum, and Joel mentioned that the the the, the Microsoft Visitor Center was really they had an Xbox exhibit. It was they about had a couple of Surface tables. Yeah, and that they was had it. some Zunes, and they had some some laptops you could play with. But there's no history, you know. It's like if you went to Microsoft and you wanted to, there were there was, was this no, at the there was the, an Altair, but that's there, it. There might be some other place where this is all located, but at the Microsoft Visitor Center, no, there isn't. This is it, this is what this, Microsoft has. Was this yeah. the one in Redmond? Yeah, yeah, that's the main one. Yeah, there it was. There was a Microsoft store which said every which sold everything you could possibly think of, branded with the slogan "I'm a PC." Yeah, you could get an "I'm a PC" hat. I'm a PC. Pen, I'm a PC shirt, I'm a PC shoes. I'm a PC PC. (laughs) (laughs) You could could put it on a Mac. That would be weird. You could take the the sticker and put it on a Mac. It didn't have – I would have expected it to have some kind of – they could have had everything that the Computer History Museum had. They could have had there. Yes, they they should. I agree totally. Now, I've been to that visitor center, and there's a small area where they actually have memorabilia from early, early releases of Windows going back to DOS days. It's tiny, though. It's easy to miss. It's gone. Really? You blink I don't know. and you we miss it. it. They have the guitar from the Windows XP launch. There was a special guitar they made. It was signed we by didn't everybody. See that. Yeah, nope. they have a tiny Maybe display. You have to know else. where it is. It must be in the permanent. It must be like like it was a temporary exhibit or something. Oh, I don't know if it was temporary, but it's a small. It's easy to miss. Is my point. They, there was, they don't they don't focus on it. So you're no. right, Michael. They should because there's a huge part of history that Microsoft is key in. But yeah. they must. Joel was saying that they must have had to make this visitor center because people would go to Microsoft and you, there's nothing like there's nothing to see, right? It's a whole bunch of buildings, bunch of buildings you into. need a card key for. <laughs> right? So they had to yeah. make it so people had sort of a reason or something to do when sure. you were a destination to go to. And then they did, but it was just, it was kind of a letdown, you know, especially after going to the computer history museum today. Yeah. That was great. Oh, and, um, the, um, our company, Fog Creek Software was in the computer museum there, which was kind of cool. Not really. It was on a book in the store, but <laughs> yeah, prominently featured centerpiece of the display. It actually was. These are the first fe- computers. They had, no, they had founders at work prominently featured in the Computer History Museum store. Store, yeah, and it's got Fogg Creek stuff on the cover. Did you nudge anybody and say, "Hey, I'm in that book"? There's nobody there. <laughs> yeah, well, you find empty. somebody and like bring them over. Hey, come here, come here, <laughs> come here. You, I want to tell you, I'm in that book. Look, me. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's good. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed the. I love the Computer History Museum. That's a great. I movie. almost demand that anybody geeky that I that comes to visit me, they have to go. Yeah. Like I almost march them there. I feel so strongly about it. We were. T- do they still have that store called Weird Stuff? I think they do, but that's like. Is that in the Bay Area or is that? Yeah, it's in Silicon Valley somewhere. Okay. It's a, it was a store. I don't know. I haven't been there for about ten years, but uh, they used to just buy all the the technical crap of every startup that had failed and was going out of business from the liquidators. Mm-hmm. And so what they had there was often a lot of pr- pretty new gear, but it was weird stuff. Like they would always have, like they had a whole wall of oscilloscopes because um, Silicon Valley obviously wasn't only about software and stuff like that. They also had electrical engineering. Uh, I don't know if it's still there, but it was it was it's sort of fun because you're usually kind of kind of plowing through the detritus of some poor company that's fallen apart and closed down. Right. The dashed dreams of a million startups. Did we answer the question? Are we even talking about this question anymore? <laughs> what was the question? It was what, about salaries. salaries and- you know what? Uh, the number of computer science majors has not actually gone down. There was a bubble in the number of computer science majors during the first dot-com boom, and the bubble ended, and we were back to the same number of computer science majors as we had before the dot-com boom. So there's just a certain natural number of people that want to study computer science, which unfortunately in the United States is sadly very, very low. Well, wait, wait. you say that, and at the same mm-hmm. time, anybody who has a... I guess you're you're thinking of the PhD level. You're always no saying, no no under undergrad undergrad uh, yes undergrad yeah. okay. And uh, I mean, there's just very few. I, 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 the year I graduated, there were four other people graduating with me from Yale and computer yeah, science. Yeah, they said that nine million number professional programmers doesn't that seem ridiculously small to you? Nine million in the really whole world. Nine million in the world. Like, yeah, it's a little small. Yeah, because that's the population of what California is like. What? Well, what, what's the population of the U.S.? I want to say How many 300 million in the U.S. Were there 7 million people in New York? 8 million in New York City. 8 million in New York City. 20 million in the So it would be like area. everybody in New York City was a programmer. Yes. <laughs> Let me ask that question <laughs> That's a on nightmare. Stack Overflow. That is a nightmare scenario, that by the way. That question's already on Stack Overflow. You Can should go update it. Can we create um, <laughs> Manhattan into a hacking central location? <laughs> Don't worry. I'll go in and delete that question later. No. Sort of like escape from New York. <laughs> uh Yes, that would be a nightmare scenario. Like escape, we need Snake Plissken to rescue us from the <laughs> the ding dong, <laughs> all the, the ding dongs and Twinkies and all the Jolt Cola. It's basically like a big gigantic Big Bang Theory, an entire island full of those people. Could be kind of fun though. <laughs> oh no, no, it would not be fun. <laughs> what like, else? No, what else was there? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anything else surprise you about the Microsoft? This size of the Microsoft. The other thing that surprised me about Microsoft, which I've forgotten, it didn't used to be that way when I worked there. Certainly, is that. Everybody we met with, I mean, we were meeting with people that were reasonably high level. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Let's get a little bit of historical context. You were at yeah. Microsoft at the Redmond campus. Yeah, in 91, 91. To Was it really that? There were only 5,000 people and there were 10 buildings. 5,000 people? Yeah. Wow. In the whole company. So that includes the field. Jeez. There were 1,000 programmers and 200 program managers. Wow. He had to show me where he lived. Where he used to get <laughs> breakfast, where he went to the park, where he rode his bike from the <sighs> house to the... Our kids these days have no appreciation for important <laughs> historical monuments. Although it was funny, we were going, we were working around camp, we were going to campus and there were groups of new hires yeah. that were working, that were walking into the visitor center. And Joel's like, stop, don't do it. No, 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 no. We were just walking back to the car just by ourselves and some guy walks by and goes, hi, Joel. Oh. And then he like kind of ran away because he was a little bit embarrassed. Yeah. That was funny. That was cool. Yeah, nice. That was pretty cool. Nice. One of your fans. Well, thank you, fan. Um, I was just comparing the old size to the new size you, you were talking about. Now it's, I think, 90,000 worldwide employees in Microsoft or something like that. You can look it up. Wow. Um, but the campus is is oh, uh, physically at least you know five or six times larger. 
uh, and all the new buildings are much bigger. And I mean, like uh, you would you would walk around campus and bump into Bill Gates on in the old days, and when I started there, and the the concept that that could ever happen. I mean, you're not even on the right part of campus where Bill Gates ever goes. Yeah. You're like across the street, and you would have to drive there. I mean, this campus is so big. There are these little shuttle there are shuttle buses and shuttle Priuses that just exists solely to just like mm-hmm. pop people around from building to building. And all the people that we had to meet with were scheduled to within an inch of our life. They had so many meetings that they could only do a half hour at a time. And everybody had learned to keep very, very much on schedule. There were big digital clocks everywhere. And, you know, there was just this ethic of this meeting ends now because I got a whole day of half hour meetings. I cannot go over ever. So um, I, I thought that was really weird. Like if you're scheduled doing meetings all the time, when are you thinking about, when are you thinking well, you're thinking about your next meeting. You're I thinking know. about more meetings. Yeah. Weird. Well, anyway. that's surprising. I mean, I even at Microsoft, very there's, large. There, I thought there was the understanding that you, you can't have too many meetings. I but mean, they, they weren't programmers. These were, these I mean, were we were talking with people level. who were like business unit managers, like group program oh, managers, sort of, um, let's say. It's their job to have all these meetings. Kind of. I mean, they're basically like at least, they, they have at least three, three layers under them. Huh. Not more. Well, that's kind of a depressing job if your job is to take meetings all day. You might it might make you feel important. Though. Yeah, and and it's fun. All you got to do is talk. You don't ever have to think. You don't ever have to solve anything. <laughs> it's like our podcast, right? <laughs> it's just like our podcast. We just randomly sit here and talk about stuff. It's so easy. <laughs> uh, I can't oh. take it. Do we have any? Um, okay, we did listener questions. We did stack overflow questions. We did stack. Over. Maybe we're done. Yeah, we, I think we might be done. All right. Well, if uh, to uh oh, guess what? You forgot the. Do you realize podcast bingo is becoming a podcast bingo category now? <laughs> if you have if you have any questions for next week's episode of Stack Overflow Podcast, please call the podcast Stack Overflow Podcast hotline at 646-826-3879 or email an MP3 or Agorbis file to podcast at stackoverflow.com. Please keep it under 90 seconds and spell your name so that we can type it. Uh, we also have a wiki, a transcript wiki, whereby people um, – uh, what do they do on the uh, – They transcribe our – glorious words onto the page for people who can't hear the podcast. Thank you. for, And also for people who just want to do a search and find things. And um, Or if you guys say something really stupid and you want it to be up there for posterity, I, exactly. I, I actually put some time into making sure that that's transcribed. And, uh, you and can for the find... right reasons. I love that. <laughs> so please contribute. We would really really appreciate and very many thanks to all the people who have contributed to the Transcript Weekly yes. located at blog that, blog that stuck out flow.com. Before I go, I just got an email from Steve Yegi. Uh, here's what he wrote, and I'm just going to read it directly. Uh, he says that uh, by talking too quickly about my project, I'm reading an email from Steve, Steve Yegi from last week's podcast number 50. Um, it appears that by talking too quickly about my project and compressing some of the abstraction layers that I depend on, I managed to make it sound as if I wrote the JavaScript compiler here. Not true. I've done very little work on it directly. My project is a client of the compiler, surfacing its info into IDEs. That's the that's the word of the year now, Jeff. I think surfacing. Yes, I love it. It's it's a new thing. It makes sense. It's great great jargon. We should use that as much as possible. Okay, back to Yegi. I really hate to give everyone internally and externally the wrong impression. Um, so uh, he did not write the Google JS compiler, but he just uses it for his project. Thank you very much, Steve, for that email. Thank you all listeners for listening. And thank you, Jeff, for having us in your lovely home here in not Emeryville, but El Cerrito, California. Yes. See you next week. See you next week. Bye. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky.
The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.